Welcome to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. Welcome back to the Starting Over Stronger Show. This is Annie Allen. I'm your host, and it is my pleasure to be back on the airwaves here with you with a new project. We will get back to the interviews and the stories that you have come to expect here at the Starting Over Stronger Show eventually. But first, I want to share my passion project with you. You have If you've been following this podcast for very long, you've heard my story and you know on some level what I have gone through to get where I am today, but on a totally new level, I'm ready to share with you my entire story in the format of my new book that I've just published this month. It is called Starting Over Stronger, Finding a Pathway Out of Codependency, to create a new life of peace. And I am so excited that over the next several weeks, I'm going to be using this platform to share the book with you in full. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want you to go get the actual ebook that you can read and keep in your library or to even order a paperback copy that you can mark up and return to time and time again where you find encouragement and help. But This will be my gift to you, more or less reading the book to you like I would if it were an audiobook on Audible, which it may someday be. So for now, we're going to go ahead and get started. And this week, I'm going to begin with the acknowledgments and dedication and then get started on chapter one. And then I'm not sure exactly how much I'll read each week, but I am certain by the holidays we will have gotten through this and I am really looking forward to sharing it with you. But also I would love to hear from you. You guys get to hear from me all the time. I want to hear from you. Join me on the Starting Over Stronger After Divorce Facebook group and share your experiences, either with listening to the podcast or with listening to this audiobook. Just let me know you're out there and you're hearing this and that it's making a difference in your life. That would not only be such a blessing to me, but it will help someone else who may be able to relate to exactly what you're going through. So let's all encourage each other. And now let's listen to Starting Over Stronger, read to you by me, the author. Starting Over Stronger, Finding a Pathway Out of Codependency to Create a New Life of Peace. Written by Annie J. Allen, Survivor, RCSD Realtor, and Certified Divorce and Life Transition Coach. Starting Over Stronger, Copyright 2022 by Annie J. Allen. Published by Kindle Direct Publishing, kdp.amazon.com. Editing by R.J. Tessman, formatting by Penny Brocker, cover art by Carissa Burns, 
No part of this publication may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, photocopying, recording, scanning, or otherwise, except as permitted under Section 107 or 108 of the 1976 United States Copyright Act without the prior written permission of the author. Requests for permission should be sent to Annie J. Allen at Annie at startingoverstronger.com. ISBN 9798847249874. Imprint independently published. Disclaimer. The contents of this book are the actual events in the life of the author as truthfully as recollection and perspective permit and or can be verified by research. Occasionally, dialogue consistent with the character or nature of the person speaking has been supplemented. All persons within are actual individuals. There are no composite characters. The names of some individuals have been changed to respect their privacy. The content is for education, information, and enjoyment only. It is not intended to provide mental health advice. Your purchase, download, and or reading of the material in this book does not constitute a coaching-client relationship between Starting Over Stronger, the author, and you. If you have questions concerning your emotional or mental health, or the state of your key relationships, or application of the information described in this book, you are encouraged to engage with the life coach or mental health professional of your choice to discuss your exact situation. Acknowledgements. This Starting Over Stronger book you hold in your hands is not a solo venture. I could not have turned this dream into a reality without the love and support of so many. Were it not for the incessant promptings of God for the last decade that people need to know they're not alone and people need to feel there is hope for a life that is nothing like the unfulfilling, frustrating existence they've always known, I may have gone on forever believing that what I had to say would not make a difference, that no one would want to read my story. I give God thanks and praise for the countless ways he's worked in my life and how he has loved me through it all. Yes, even divorce. The one thing I struggled so hard against for so long. Imagine discovering that he loved me even then. He's taught me what faith really is in spite of countless failures on the part of churches and Christians as well as people who called themselves Christians those who wounded me in deeply painful ways. God is so much bigger than the failures and faults of mankind. If I had never crossed paths with Sheila Benzon at Living Foundation Ministries in Blue Springs, Missouri, I honestly don't know what story I could be telling in my life. I came to her a broken shell of the woman I am today. She would tell you that it was God using her. I will tell you that whatever fuels her heart and mine, Sheila herself was and is a willing vessel to facilitate healing and the truest of gifts in my life. Thank you is hardly enough, Sheila. Thank you, Carissa Burns, for designing my amazing book cover. You gave life to the image I held in my mind, the winding path I had to take, the hills and the valleys, the sun rising on a new life, all with a 
brilliant, clean, crisp look that perfectly illustrates the healing green and joyful blue of starting life over with new strength and hope. You are truly a talented artist to be able to transform the vision in my mind into a beautiful and inspiring book cover that I know so many will be drawn to pick up and read. Thank you, Deanna C., Jody C., Barbara N., and Francesca D. for being beta readers of Starting Over Stronger. You ladies delivered on your promise to read my book in one month, and the detailed feedback you provided me about your experience as a reader was incredibly helpful, as well as moving and encouraging. I asked you to ignore grammar and punctuation errors and just tell me, where did I lose you? What did you feel as you read? Did I leave anything out? You rose to the occasion in grandeur, and I cried happy tears when I read comments such as, your story is going to change lives, my friend. I cannot explain how amazing it was to read these kinds of comments. Thank you from the bottom of my heart to each of you for making time in your busy lives to do something totally selfless to help me make this book a reality. The word gratitude seems so incomplete when I think about the role Rebecca Thessman played in my life as a writer. Rebecca is not only the most talented and gracious editor I could ever ask for, but she has inspired me time and time again since I met her through a local writer's network many years before this book became a reality. She doesn't know this, but she's encouraged me a million times not to give up. She has a little saying that I see every time I receive one of her email newsletters, Your words matter. And because of her, I came to believe that. Now you hold the finished product of her encouragement as well as her editing in your hands. And I hope these words do matter to you. Like my beta readers said, I hope and pray this story changes your life. I am thankful always for everyone throughout my life who has encouraged me to write or trained me in any way to write more or better, including my high school English teacher, Mrs. Young, at Raytown High School in the 1990s. Also, thanks to many professors at the Missouri State University Online Professional Writing Program, the Heart of America Christian Writers Network, and EPEG, who stand out in my mind as encouragers of my natural writing abilities. And finally, thank you to each and every person who is a part of my story. Something that took me a long time to learn was summed up by five poignant words that spoke powerfully to me one day in 2021. My story is my strength. When put that way, I knew I would never again wish away any part of my story. Each and every character, even the antagonists, have contributed to my ability to be who I am today, to have a story of overcoming worth sharing. Everything difficult and every abusive or toxic person that I have allowed in my life across the years, every kind and caring protagonist I've enjoyed knowing on some level, everyone I've met, loved, birthed, been birthed by, grew up with, or befriended along the way is a part of my story and therefore a part of my strength today. You each taught me more about who I am. And for that, I will always be grateful. My path has crossed with each and every one of you. Dedication. This book is lovingly dedicated to the one and only person in my entire life who has ever loved me unconditionally, Jerry Rocha Chavez. You are the kindest and sweetest soul I have ever known. 
Your tattoos, dark beard, and muscles may give you a tough exterior that lets people know you will protect what is yours, and of course you would. But underneath, you're everything that is good and right in the world. From the day I met you, I feel as if you have scarcely taken your eyes off of me. I still catch you, often staring at me from across the room with a grin on your face. I always say, what? And you say, nothing. Can't I just like looking at you? The truth is, whether or not you catch me, I do the same thing. I love watching you photograph events, play with our dogs, take care of the house, build stuff, and even sleep. I sit there and wonder what it is about me that you love so much and how I got so lucky to find you just a year after my former life crumbled. I don't know if I can ever love you as well as you love me, but I will never stop trying. I don't know if I will ever know how to fully allow you to love me with the depth and sincerity that you do. Not because it isn't everything I've ever dreamed of, but because it's so foreign. But I will never stop trying to do that either. I don't even know how to be loved like this. So I will just keep putting one foot in front of the other, living in the moment and living my best life, letting you love me and teach me what love is, all while I love you with everything I've got. If we live to be 110, that won't be long enough to have and hold you. I look forward to spending forever with you. Chapter one, no fun in this dysfunction, birth to age five. Like a shattered picture frame that has fallen off the wall, my early years are shards of broken and painful memories. When I hear people relating stories of fond childhood memories, I'm often envious. I have a few, but nothing that seems to come anywhere near outweighing all the painful recollections of wanting to know I was loved, to feel safe, to experience being wanted and treasured as every child deserves. No matter how much I have healed, no matter how determined I am to see the positive in everything I face in life and everything that has led me to where I am, No magic cure exists to erase these dark images. Like random old pictures scattered inside the box of my childhood, cracked, faded, with withered edges, when I sift through my mental box of memories, the one my eyes always seem to land on are the ones like my mother's glasses being slapped off her face. Time and time again, the painful memories surface. Others are more innocent, more normal. Me in a yellow dress with my siblings. I guess we are ready for church some Easter morning, despite no recollection of attending church until I was a teen. The old box of memories in my mind even holds short video reels, like the desperate, weary cries of sheer terror from my mother, begging my father to stop hitting her or to stop hitting one of us kids. These are the kind of memories time does not erase no matter how much you want it to. It cannot not color life, even now in subtle ways, 40-some years later. You do not forget the times you had to go to school wearing long sleeve sweatshirts and sweatpants on two warm fall days to cover bruises. How many times did this terror occur in my childhood home? Was it daily, weekly, monthly, a few times a year? Everyone's memory is different, and certainly there is repression that undoubtedly followed living in survival mode all those years. 
What I do not know is that whether the memories I hold are the sum total of all the occasions my father's hands abused the ones he was supposed to love and protect. Like when you see a few ants in your house, and you know there are many, many more you cannot see. The pain is the same, whether it happened ten times or a hundred I was born in a Kansas City hospital on a Wednesday in early September, 1973. Most of my life, I did not know what time of day I was born. My mother either had no recollection or didn't care to try to figure it out with me the many times I've asked her. I spent time and money to have the state health department provide me with this information on a long form birth certificate. It finally arrived in 2020. I was born at 11.36 a.m. Wanting to know your time of birth may seem like an odd thing, but as my story unfolds, perhaps it will make more sense to you why I wanted to know that my arrival on this planet mattered. I will always remember the time of day my children entered this world, even if the exact time fades, because their arrival mattered greatly to me. When I came into this world in 1973, my family did not live in Kansas City, but it was the closest hospital. We lived in Archie, a tiny town on the southern edge of Kansas City. All I recall about my life up to age five in Archie was that little ranch house with a circle driveway, a big backyard with pigs and beagles, and spending a lot of time outside with them and my siblings, two older sisters, and eventually a younger brother. A few random mental snapshot images are all I have left to remember it by. It may be that these are not memories of the actual events so much as memories of the family photos I have seen as an adult. In one snapshot, my messy curly blonde hair was sticking up haphazardly as I played in a muddy puddle in the gravel driveway. In another snapshot, I played hide and seek at about age three. On all fours, my head and shoulders up under a 70s-style green and brown plaid-skirted upholstered footstool, my rear up in the air, I was blissfully unaware of how easily I would be found, and on these good days, I love thinking that my parents were enjoying my presence in their lives, making believe along with me that I was hidden. Other snapshots in old boxes show me as a baby, an infant, a toddler, not a ton. I was the third child, after all. Furthermore, the third daughter, back in the days when you didn't know what you were having until he, or in this case, she, came out. The frequency of children being photographed is always on the decline after the first and second child, even in the best of homes. Life gets busy. Surprisingly enough, a baby book did exist for me, inscribed with my name, and not so surprising, containing only a few basic facts about my birth and infancy. It currently lives in a plastic tote in my basement, along with a few other pictures and trinkets my mother decided to offload several years ago, tired of moving it around, she had said. I have long grieved the fact that my earliest years hold so few actual memories. However, it has been some comfort to learn of so many others who feel that they had good childhoods but still don't recall much before the age of five. Maybe this early childhood sparse memory is normal. What I do remember, or want to be remembered, is that even as this quirky little blonde girl, I was who I am today. 
unique that many tried to convince me was different in a bad way. Strong-willed and strong-minded, a little mysterious, fun-loving, generous, overtly interested in others, and willing to be myself in any situation, enjoying, loving life, and doing whatever I can to make the world a better and more fun place. I may not have solid memories on which to draw to make these conclusions, and that's okay. It is a knowing of sorts. I can piece together from distant memories, photographs, stories, family members' recollections, and what I know about myself and childhood development to inform what I know to be true in my heart. Some of this I also know as a result of exploring my inner child as I have healed in therapy over the years. What I haven't talked about yet that I will explore more in chapters to come is how strongly I came to know my inner self, the person I believe I always was, how the real me got lost through the trauma upon trauma I endured in childhood adolescence and adulthood, along with what I ultimately did to rediscover the real me. It may be hard for some to believe, but as you will come to see, I attribute much of my ability to radically alter my life to journaling. So before I return to my story in chapter three, let me take a moment to explain a little bit about that journaling here in chapter two. Chapter two, what is the pathway to peace? Have you ever done something seemingly small that ended up making all the difference in your life? Maybe in a way you never could have foreseen or cannot explain. 16 years ago, there was an outwardly insignificant choice I made that changed the course of my life. As you continue to read my story, I want you to watch for the moment that everything begins to shift as it relates to the choice that I now call Pathway to Peace Journaling. This Pathway to Peace is not a diary. It is a simple journaling practice I engaged in, which showed me more than I could ever have imagined it would. I can't even say I truly loved journaling prior to discovering this way of putting my thoughts and feelings on paper for understanding. So I know that having a love for journaling is not a prerequisite. Journaling is the act of putting pen to paper to release, to vent, to understand. But it is not the monotonous practice of documenting your days in paragraph form as the word diary portrays, Pathway to Peace has the power to take you from where you are to where you want or maybe need to be in a, very, in a way few other things in life do. And as you read my story, I believe you will see this. Oh, and here's a quick tip so you're ready to try it for yourself when the time comes. Sometime when you can, make a trip to the store or visit an online shop and pick up a spiral-bound notebook that you love. Not Dear Diary, you may begin each page of your Pathway to Peace journal with entries like the old familiar Dear Diary. Some of you may like Dear Me, and this makes sense as the goal is to get to know yourself better. The more faith-led may find Dear God feels best, which allows this journal to become 
a prayer journey with God or their higher power. Maybe you like Hello Universe. I almost always began with Father God as my dear line. And this was incredibly transformational for me when I came to this place of embracing God as my father. It took so many years of healing and the eventual passing of my father in order for me to assign that reverent title in a personal way to God. Maybe you have no dear line and you just get right to the point. No judgment here. No one else is going to see it. So you can address your Pathway to Peace journal in whatever format you wish. Try a few and see what fits. Who am I to tell you how to journal? Well, wait. Yes, I am, in fact, going to tell you how to journal. That's a big part of this memoir with a purpose, along with sharing the transformational story that my journal helped me to be able to write. As we've established, this isn't your typical dig out the key from under your mattress, unlock your diary and start pouring out all your random teenage secrets kind of thing. Pathway to Peace is a structured and intentional practice of investigating your worries and exploring your wants and needs with a healthy dose of gratitude. Soon, you will know exactly how to incorporate this practice into your daily life. Can you remember a time when you kept a diary and how you felt about it? If so, did you keep it faithfully every day? During what years of your life was this an important practice for you? Do you still write in a journal or diary on occasion or daily? If not, why did you stop? In that 1996 U.S. survey, Ruth Follett of Life Journal established that only half of people interviewed had ever kept a diary, and only a measly 16% were actively maintaining a diary or journaling practice. In published UK data from 2014, 21% of children and young adults kept up with other daily life writing, with only about one third of girls doing so. I find that heartbreaking, given the state of anxiety, depression, and other mental health crises across the world, especially in our adolescence. We live in trying, confusing, and painful times. How are people coping? Are they struggling to frame the difficulties of life because they have no models before them or the kind of positive self-exploration that intentional journaling encourages? A simple sentence buried deep inside a poignant teen romance novel called The Fault in Our Stars goes like this. That's the thing about pain. It demands to be felt. Author John Green's character, Hazel, a teenage girl falling in love while dying of cancer, implies that it's not a bad thing to acknowledge we can live with pain and still be okay. She says that pain demands to be felt. And I agree. If we don't ease the pain out through practices like journaling, the pain will come out somewhere, often in various diseases. Think of it as dis eases of the body and mind. Do you want to be okay? If that's your goal, this may not be the book for you. I can't see how my story would resonate with someone who's okay with living an okay life. Not one single word of my story is about that. My story is a story that so many women and even men can relate to. It's about choosing better than what those who 
who came before us chose. It's about accepting life on its terms and also accepting that pain on the dashboard of our lives is trying to tell us something. If I can completely transform my life, there's no reason in the world you cannot do the same. When we truly want something, we will figure out a way to that something. I hope something I share here helps you do just that. In this painful world we live in, I want more than just getting by. I want more than the status quo. I want true healing and wholeness. More than doctors handing out colorful pills claiming they'll solve your problems without ever talking with you about what's going on inside of your mind. I want more than okay, don't you? So how are you processing everything that has happened and is going on in your life? Therapy? Best friend gab sessions? Spending time in nature? Exploring the world? Eating healthy? Spending time outdoors in the sunshine with, without sunscreen? Get outside as often as you can and soak up that vitamin D. Be active in whatever ways you enjoy. But most of all, I hope you'll consider keeping a journal. Pathway to Peace Journaling is one of the many ways you can release the emotional and therefore often physical pain in your life and to create a healthier you inside and out. For years, I've known God wanted me to share my story. It's taken me longer than I would have liked, but I have needed to acclimate to my new life. I have needed to process how this journaling practice saved me when I was dying from the inside out. So I would know how to share it with you. So why do people write in a journal? My life transition coaching clients are almost always actively seeking to improve their lives. They aren't okay with okay. And maybe you aren't either. When I was most actively pouring my heart and mind onto the pages of my journal, I knew I wanted something different. But I journaled without a lot of rhyme or reason until I discovered the pathway to peace practice that I'm going to share with you. During the most trying season of my life, in the season when I felt the least okay ever, I journaled because I sought more. An unexamined life. I agree with Socrates, an unexamined life is not worth living. What in your life is asking to be examined? At first, journaling did not feel optional. I was there because putting pen to paper felt as necessary as my next breath. My life had reached a point where I felt as if I might literally be losing my mind. Exhausted every single day of my life with my confused and racing thoughts, my mind would not slow down could not slow down. I would wake each morning with a sense of dread and foreboding. Here we go again as I rose from sleep to consciousness, from dreamland and back to real life, back to the place where my mind would not let me rest or even coast. One day I woke up and something someone had said to me niggled around in my mind. Maybe writing a little each day will help you get it all out. One metaphor I have adopted is that journaling is like taking out the kitchen trash. You know that feeling. You're standing there doing the dishes. You've finished loading the dishwasher, filled the detergent cup, started the dishwasher, and you're wiping down the counters. 
you take in a deep cleansing breath, feeling the accomplishment of a clean kitchen when suddenly it hits you. A a stench is filling your nostrils. What is that smell in my sparkling clean kitchen? You look around the counter. Did someone leave an almost empty plate somewhere beside the sink? Does the dog bowl need cleaned? Oh, it's coming from the kitchen trash can again. You open the lid and you're immediately hit with every meal you've eaten for three days. Gag. You try to breathe through your mouth as you remove the old bag, tie it up, and as quickly as possible throw it out into the garbage or run it all the way out to the dumpster. Shoo! Now take a full breath again. Replace the bag in the trash can, look around the kitchen, and admire your work. It looks and smells beautiful, at least until tomorrow morning. Just like the kitchen trash, your brain is a receptacle for everything that happens to you every day of your life. Every struggle, even good things you don't need anymore, and everything in between. All piled one on top of the other in your brain. And your dreams are like a garbage disposal working to break down as much of your life as possible to move it from your short term to your long term memory, to reconcile it all. And like a garbage disposal, there are certain things that are too much for your dreams. Have you ever put meat or the occasional small bone accidentally in the garbage disposal? It's not pretty. I've had my share of slimy, mucky backups to clean up as a result. Those tough things need to go in the trash, but then they just sit there for how long, waiting to be filled with other yuck? Your brain needs a trash can. Otherwise, how are you taking out the mental trash that is inevitably accumulating in your brain each day? This analogy gives new meaning to stinking thinking. You know that automatic negative thinking that follows us around The problem with not taking out our mental trash is we have to carry it around all the time. Imagine hanging that full, drippy, rancid kitchen trash trash bag around your neck all day. It's heavy. It's in your way. It's so smelly. Everyone can see it and smell it. We feel it weighing us down. Nothing feels right with that kind of baggage. Nothing And the saddest part of all is that we could easily lift it off of our necks and put it into its rightful place, out of our sight, out of our smell, a weight off our backs, out of our minds. By simply picking up a pen and notebook or opening a laptop, we can begin to take out every single piece of that stinking mental mental trash. The practice of taking out the trash is not always fun. Sometimes it smells worse than other times, but it is a necessary and sometimes quick task that can leave you with the same sense and accomplishment of pride as your sparkling clean kitchen. You did all you could do for today, for right now, all is well. Until some kid or big kid comes along for a late night snack to start the process all over again, there's always tomorrow. Another escape. Isn't writing in a diary just another escape from the reality of daily life? As long as I'm sitting here dragging a pen across the paper, I don't have to live my life or face it, right? Debatable. As a lifelong born and bred avoider, I am not going to judge anyone for any escape mechanism. I've used them all. Daydreaming, busy making, denial, and my favorite overthinking. 
Gotta love some overthinking to avoid reality and put off decision making. Here's the thing about escape mechanisms. We all have them. There was a time in my life when all I knew to do was escape. I was born into a long line of pain and denial of pain. Avoidance in all its forms was the thread of the first part of my life, a necessary survival tactic as I grew up. When you grow up in toxic dysfunction and abuse, you learn from an early age that safety always requires running. Whether a physical or mental retreat, one of the most primal human instincts is the desire to avoid pain. Even more than the seeking of pleasure, humans innately work hard to never feel discomfort. No one has to teach you this. You just know. It's as instinctual as pulling your hand away from a hot stove. In all my years before I discovered how to journal my way to a better understanding of myself and my life, I was an avoider. It all still creeps in sometimes when I allow my feelings to fester a little too long before exploring them in my journal. What is an avoider? It can be as simple as the occasional feeling of inadequacy or situational sensitivity to judgment. It can also be a full-blown personality disorder with chronic feelings of inadequacy that drive unhealthy behaviors. And it can fall anywhere in between these two extremes. The thing about the disordered ways that our personalities present is that it does not have to be permanent. At their core, these are just ingrained coping mechanisms. Remove the abuse or dysfunction you're trying to cope with or adjust how you're coping and all these symptoms will dissolve. Symptoms may subside slowly over a long period of time, but they will lessen and may completely resolve with diligence. For me, avoidance was an ingrained tendency that protected me from feelings I was not yet ready to deal with, which set me up to care more about the thoughts and feelings of others than my own. This can be healthy when two people mutually care well for one another, but in an imbalanced or toxic relationship, you'll both be caring for the same person and the other's needs will go totally unmet. You could spend a lifetime stuck in these debilitating states of struggle with no idea why you feel the way you feel. Many people do. Maybe you go a lifetime with no awareness at all. There's something seriously malfunctioning in your thought life. It could feel like you're constantly the victim of something or someone. And you may be because avoiders tend to end up in relationships with people who exacerbate their internal struggle by not being a safe place for the avoider to learn how not to avoid. But here's the good news. You're not a tree. You can move. It may take a traumatic or devastating catalyst. Then again, it may not. But for one reason or another, you may find yourself or may have already found yourself in therapy. When you do find yourself in therapy, I hope you find a good therapist. Here's the thing. In any field, there are those who are good and those who mean well. Understand the difference. In every school that teaches any field of study, you have the students who ace every test and assignment and are in love with the material. And you have the students who are barely passing and trudging through the assignments with angst and longing for the day that is over. Do you know what they call both of those students on graduation day at medical school, for example, doctor. They call them both doctor. They have earned the same rights and privileges to speak into your life and direct your care. How do you know which one you're getting? You probably don't. You cannot 
know anything about the true expertise of an expert without really vetting them and getting to know them for yourself. The same is true for real estate agents, insurance salesmen, dog walkers, and therapists. It's an irreversible rule of life. You get to be bad at anything you do. You get to do the bare minimum. You get to be unethical. You get to be lackadaisical. Yay, I figured out a way to use lackadaisical in my book. You get to not care and generally be a less productive member of society. And so that being the case, there are therapists who have the power to, and in fact do, ruin the concept of therapy for everyone. The truly sad part of all this is the bad practitioners in any field most likely do not know they are bad. So when you seek therapy, don't pick a name on a provider list and hope for the best. Seek alignment, seek growth, and measurable change, trust your gut, and get a strong recommendation or two. So here's my rule of thumb. If you try something new, whatever that something is, and it doesn't work out well, try again with someone you vet more. One and done will kill you every time. One bad experience in any aspect of life does not mean that entire sector of human existence is null and void. It means you had a bad experience. A bad marriage does not mean that marriage is bad. A bad doctor does not make all doctors bad. A bad vacation does not mean you should never go on vacation again. A bad experience in therapy is that. One bad experience. It happens. Life happens. Get back up on the horse and show it who's boss. Find a new real estate agent, a new husband, after your heel with a new therapist. Don't ever let anything get in the way of you and your goals. You're always in the driver's seat of your life until or unless you let someone else drive your car. You don't have to think anything you don't want to think. For me, it took surviving an abusive childhood, joining and then unjoining a cult-like Baptist church that nearly destroyed my faith, and the breakdown and fallout of a toxic and dysfunctional marriage to get me to therapy and to open up a blank notebook and start getting to know who I was. What did it take for you to awaken to the awareness that you wanted more or different? Are you there now? What do you require in order to go get what you desire from life? Here's the problem. We have that natural instinct to avoid pain. We unavoidably have pain in this life and avoidance solves few problems. So are we set up for failure? There's that stinking thinking rearing its ugly head again. There's much to look forward to, my friend. Like life, this is a ride worth taking even with all its twists and turns. Hang in there. Now that we've covered all the lies about escape mechanisms, what's the truth about them? According to Oxford, escape mechanisms are mental processes that enable a person to avoid acknowledging unpleasant or threatening aspects of reality. So you tell me. Is journaling an escape from reality the same way daydreaming, denial, drinking, and overthinking are? I think not. In fact, I think journaling is the opposite. All those other coping mechanisms or strategies or adaptations that you rely on to help run in the opposite direction of your pain. Journaling is one of the few strategies, along with therapy, counseling, and girlfriend gab sessions, which 
allows you to run right smack dab into the pain. Chase it down. Find it. Get familiar with it. Find its weaknesses and take it down. Take control of it by understanding it. Explore your own inner strengths and desires to master the pain once and for all. When you do, then you can daydream for fun and have a martini with the girls because you know you can, knowing that you don't need it. You've got this. You had it out with the pain already earlier today and you will again tomorrow in your journal. For now, you can relax and enjoy what life brings without guilt, shame, or regret. Finding my best self. A life without guilt, shame, and regret is the definition of being our best self. Can you remember a time in your life when you felt free from guilt, shame, and regret? No, me neither. Until I put everything going on in my life aside and acted despite all the pain, confusion, doubt, and fear to sit down each day and journal. When I strung together enough of those days to begin to realize a pattern, I was primed and ready for the day when my favorite counselor shared a simple Bible verse with me. I'm certain she had no idea the impact it was going to make. That single verse of scripture was one part of a long discussion we were having about my life. At that point, my failing marriage in particular. She was using that frame of reference to explain a broader concept. The moment that verse escaped her lips, it grabbed hold of my mind and would not let me go. I had read and heard this verse many times before in a variety of Bible versions, but never the New Living Translation. What I believe made the verse jump off the page, so to speak, was that she shared it with me, from memory I might add, and from this new translation that I had never heard. The way the verse was paraphrased said something distinct to me that day, something different about the way it was structured. I was seeing a four-step pattern. This simple verse became the foundation on which my entire Pathway to Peace journaling practice was built. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. New Living Translation. Eight years later, I found myself sitting in a life coaching certification school and heard a similar ideology of reflection methods. This was not a Christian program. Yet as I sat and listened to the teaching, I experienced the exact same phenomenon. The instructor was sharing how to handle stinking thinking to move closer to our goals. When I began to see this same four-step pattern emerge. I cannot wait to tell you all about this in a later chapter. For now, I want you to know this. Whether you are a Christian, you practice another faith tradition, you consider yourself spiritual, agnostic, or atheist, and even if the only thing you know for sure that you believe is that you don't think you would like journaling, 
I will show you how this four-part journaling practice can and will shift every paradigm standing between you and the life you are seeking. And I think you will even see how you might actually enjoy it. When I came to realize that I was discovering my best self through what I ended up calling pathway to peace journaling, I could not get enough. It's hard to resist when you know you have this place you can go anytime, any day, you don't need an appointment, and it's totally free. Pathway to Peace welcomes you in without hesitation every time. It wants to know everything on your mind, listens to you with undivided attention, and invites you always to share more. Pathway to Peace never judges you or runs out of time to hear what you have to say. It helps you make connections between seemingly unrelated things and shows you the little and not so little truths that reside between the lines you write. Overall, this practice is like nothing you have tried before, and it will open your eyes to uncover the real you, your best self, who you really are, slowly but surely as you pour yourself out on to the pages. Guess what? You're going to like the real you better than you might think. When you begin to explore how to welcome this journaling into your life, you too are going to discover your best self, this amazing person that you were always meant to be, that person life has sort of robbed you of. It happens to the best of us for countless reasons. All we know to do is to stand and deal with what life throws our way. Often it is only with hindsight that we see it hasn't really gone the way we planned. No one wants a sucky, confusing, and painful life. It's that a whole lot of people have unwillingly adopted this Irish proverb as their life philosophy. It originated in the 1500s, traced back to our taverner, better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. Life is hard, folks. I don't know how Pathway to Peace works. I don't know why it works. I just know that it does. And the science of it is not of concern to me either. I know from personal, deep experience that journaling in this way helps you move forward from trapped, repressed, anxious, depressed, and frustrated to self-aware, emotionally free, and capable of logical and wise decision-making. Pathway to Peace can lead you to the fulfillment of the dreams and goals you have for your life, or maybe help you discover what they are if you aren't even sure. If you're reading this book about how one woman discovered a way to dramatically alter the course of her life, you have my invitation to do more than just read my story. I want you to see your own story reflected on the pages of this book, because if I can do it, you can too. When you are done reading it, you will have all the tools you need to transform your life if you have not already done so. I am so honored to share my story with you. And whether or not you adopt the journaling practice that I believe allowed me to write my story, may you invite this practice of reflection into your life in whatever ways work for you. And now back to my story. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining me for this first reading of the Starting Over Stronger memoir. 
I look forward to next week and having you join me again to hear the rest of the story. Have a wonderful week.